Crossing Broadcast right. here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. The Eagles, man, they, they turned it around in a week. We've got Eagles talk, we've got Sixers talk, and of course, a new man running the Philadelphia Phillies. So we'll get to that a little bit later in the show. Plus, if uh, anybody wants to call in, 888-728-9941. Again, 888-728-9941. We'll take your call on whatever Philadelphia team you want to talk. We've got an hour here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. Of course, I am joined, as always. Who are you, first of all? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm Russ Joy. Find me on Twitter, <laughs> at Joy on Broad. Sitting catty corner from me. Who are you? Diagonally is Kevin Kincaid, who you can find on Twitter, at Kevin underscore Kincaid. How are you guys doing? You did a fantastic job with the Snow the Goalie Thanks. podcast. Thanks, man. Uh, I'm glad that the, the conditions under which the four of us have returned here uh, are, are better with an Eagles win, with two Sixers wins, because uh, I, 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 can't, I can't do the Carson Wentz and Nick Foles thing anymore. I just didn't have another one of those in me. So I'm glad we don't have it tonight. That might be coming. That's Setting not on the now. list. We didn't put that on the rundown, do we? The no. guy who's okay, uh, super happy to try to jump in here to my right, <laughs> Anthony Sanfilippo. Find him on Twitter, at AntSanPhilly. Hi again, Russ. Hey, pal. Fella? Good to, good to Fella? see you. Pal? I'm, I'm in a positive mood again. Just wow, so you know. Positelphia. Fraud. Yeah. No, you're not. Okay. And across from me is Bob Wankel. At Bob Wankel CB on Twitter. Gets a thumbs down from producer Ryan. Bob, go ahead. Phillies have a new manager. World Series, baby. Here we come. All that ails the Philadelphia Phillies has been fixed. Now that cancer Gabe Kapler has been shipped west. <laughs> now they just need four pitchers. A backup catcher, uh, an entire minor, an entire minor league system above that. <laughs> entire minor league system. Shows you how much of a baseball guy I am. Yeah, I think I just repeated what Bob had wrote uh, over the last couple months. But as long as uh, Joe Girardi's a blue collar guy, he's going to get him to hustle. Do you have a lunch pail? Bring the lunch, bring the lunch pail and the hard hat every day. Then uh, that's what I need. Let's just be honest. We knew the, the Phillies ended up doing the right thing. They played the long game. Of course, they didn't sign Manny Machado last year because they knew that Joe Girardi wouldn't want to coach that lazy guy. They needed a That's real right. blue-collar Philadelphian like Bryce Harper. Anyway, we'll get to the Phillies a little bit later. Bob, of course, is our uh, Phillies writer. He was down at the press conference to uh, go meet the man, the myth, the legend, the man who crushed our hearts in 2009, Joe Girardi. Anyway, let's talk about the Eagles because after they crushed our hearts – dashed our hopes, and made us uh, want to move on from football season. They pull us back in, as per usual, and the Eagles come out victorious. Kevin, uh, you know, you wrote it up for the site, crossingbroad.com. Just like we thought it was going to go. Exactly Two, how we thought it would go. 218 yards on the ground against a team that was only allowing 91 on the ground on the season and playing at home as well, a 5-1 and one Bills team that was uh, – that was pretty damn good. I mean, we knew that offensively they weren't, you know, dynamic. I guess, um, you know, especially at the quarterback position. But I mean, the Eagles did a really nice job. I think obviously the running game is probably the biggest takeaway, right? Would we all kind of agree on that? You know, the fact that they pounded the ball in the second half, and may maybe the conditions kind of precluded them them from that. So maybe they kind of sh shoehorned them into having to go into trench warfare and just sort of run the ball over and over and over again. But uh, Hey, that's a formula. You know, when, when it's windy and it's blowing around and the kicking game is kind of iffy and throwing the ball is kind of iffy, there was a couple ducks that came out yesterday. Um, you kind of go to a, a running attack with a, a game manager kind of Carson Wentz performance. You know, I thought he hit a couple decent passes, two, uh, one down the sidelines to Alshon Jeffrey, another one that he threw kind of uh, in a spot where only he could get it. Uh, he had the touchdown pass, did some nice things with his legs. 
You know, I look when I went back and looked at the at the stat line this morning, it looked like a like a Alex Smith Kansas City kind of kind of line. But you know what? I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, Alex Smith won a lot of games for Kansas City, for San Francisco, and for the Redskins as well. So I don't know. I, I may, maybe that's their formula. I mean, the four of us were sitting here last week and we went through the exercise. We were going through all these personnel sets. You know, we went wide receiver, running back, quarterback, offensive line. And we named all of them on both sides of the uh, of the football, and we said, well, running back's good quarterbacks pretty good so they they leaned on that this week and it was uh, i don't know how much how much of the, the game plan it was but it worked out for him okay I know, I know you mentioned the conditions being the reason that the running game was probably probably why they went to it early um and and probably often but isn't it interesting though that every time they sort of get the ability to run the ball or at least establish the running game that the offense seems to be better, even though Carson doesn't have yeah. anybody to really throw the ball to. I mean, it, it, it has to – you see it, I see it, they have to see it too, right? Well, I don't know. I mean, we sit here over and over again. We talk about, well, you got two good tight ends. Let's play uh, 12 personnel. Let's get Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz on the field, and so let's play to our strengths, you know? So if they can do it with that, then why can't you do it with two running backs at the same time, you know? Right. And it's strange because, like, you know, you talk about, like, 21 and 22 personnel. So – so 21 and 22 personnel are both like two running back sets, right? So in 21 personnel, you're going two backs, two receivers, and one tight end. 22 personnel, you're going two backs, one receiver, and two tight ends. They don't really, you know, the, the modern day NFL really is not that anymore. Like you don't have teams that run I formation anymore. There's no, like most teams don't even carry a fullback. You know, you can go something offset or you can, you know, bring in like uh, they had Alex Ellis, uh, the third string tight end, in, in as a blocker earlier in some plays this year. But it's just not really a personnel set that's that's like prominent in the modern day NFL. But Again, if the Eagles' strength is two tight ends in the offensive line and they have two good running backs, then why the hell not? You know, it just makes a lot of sense to me because you're, you know, you're not, you know, this this wide receiving group is what it is. So, and and anybody who knows anybody who's played offensive line at any level, be it you know collegiate or even uh, the the pro guys, if you know if th- that we work with at various media outlets around here, they will all tell you that they love to run block more than pass block anyway. So. Sure. You know, it feeds them, it gets them going, it gets guys like Jason Kelsey going. You know, Jordan Howard is 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 a great downhill runner. Miles Miles Sanders can do a lot of things. It's one of their best personnel groups, so play to it. I want I, I just want to point this out to you, Kev. Best rushing team in the NFL is Baltimore Ravens. Mm-hmm. They're what, five and two? Uh, something like that, yeah. Number two yeah. rushing teams the forty niners. Yeah. They're seven and oh. Yeah. Number three rushing teams, Minnesota. They're six Dalvin, and Dalvin six and Cook. two. Yep. Number four is Dallas. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you see something here? I mean, there, there is something to this, even yeah. though it's kind of an old school mentality. It's something that's kind of maybe coming back around in the NFL a little bit. I mean, as as it should, you know. I mean, I th- I think like from a, a macro perspective, it's it's kind of you know th- these things are cyclical. You know, things come in and out of of fashion. You know, it's like when you're listening to your your uh, CDs. And, well, nobody listens to CDs anymore. But you're listening to <laughs> you're listening to your iPod or whatever. Like maybe you were listening to like let's see how old I can make myself sound. You know, I was listening to Soundgarden a lot for that one month back in 2018, and now maybe it's like Alice in Chains has sort of come back around again. Maybe I'll go back to like uh, Nirvana or something. Yeah. How many grunge bands can I name? Mud Honey, you know. <laughs> but like. You know, that's the thing. It's, it's, you know, a lot of what you see in college kind of foreshadows the trends in the NFL, you know. So, uh, you know, when, when these spread offenses, these pass offenses came in, you know, Doug Peterson was one of those guys. Andy Reid absorbed a lot of that, you know. So, and especially with the emphasis on backs who can catch the ball out of the backfield now, you know. It's, it's, I don't know how much you can use Jordan Howard if he's not a – in two back sets if he's not a threat to catch the ball. But listen, it's like we said last week, we went through all those groups and we said running back we, – when we came to running back, we said, yeah, it's fine. We spent like mm-hmm. two words – talking about that because right. there wasn't anything to talk about you know so hey listen play to your strengths 
keep it on the ground. Whatever works. So uh, I'm a lot more irrational when I watch these games than you are. Like, you can look at it and kind of just say, hey, this is what happened, and uh, I'll tell you how it is. Now, I watched that game yesterday, and it was a good win. And I would tell you, if, if you would have told me on Sunday morning, Eagles 31-13 over the 5-1 and one Bills on the road with their backs up against the wall and all of that other stuff, I would have said, that's great. We'll take it. Mm-hmm. I was, I would say, adequately annoyed throughout the course of that game. I know they did some good <laughs> things. It just seemed like there was a positive immediately followed by a negative. I tweeted it. I said, you can't enjoy the 2019 Eagles for more than six minutes in real time. Yeah. It's impossible. It just seems like they have this knack of, of making big mistakes at the at the wrong time. I mean, that Boston Scott, th- that fumble, that fumble on, on the punt, punt return, yeah. that could have been catastrophic. To the defense's credit, they bail him out. And I think that that really swung swung the momentum of the game because yeah. it felt like Buffalo was going to creep back in at that point. Yeah, they're just not good at kind of linking uh, momentum plays t- together through the units. You know, it used to be the 2017 Eagles were like, offense would go down, score, defense would hold, special teams would be steady if unspectacular. And then those three groups would kind of recycle over and over, and they would like – you know, chunk these momentum plays together and just sort of like absorb it as like one amoeba of a football team, you know? And this year it's like <laughs> the defense gets the two holds, you know, in the first, on the first two drives, the Eagles go down and they finally kick the field goal. And then what happens? The The defense lets them go. I think it was 10 plays, uh, 75 yards for a touchdown, you know? And then they had that other drive too, which, which you were probably about to bring up where they allowed third and eight. Yeah, third, third, and third and thirteen, and yeah. third and fourteen. So yeah, it, it does, it does seem like they just kind of have have trouble, kind of kind of you know piling that momentum up. But I think the fact that they were able to get stops on the first two defensive possessions, Buffalo ran a lot of boring plays on those first two possessions, like some eye, eye formation, really bunched up running plays and stuff like that. And pre- that might have been because of the conditions as well. I don't know, but um, you know when you think about that, they gave up. 14 points to Dallas on the first two drives. They give 10 points to Minnesota on the first two drives, 10 points to Green Bay, 7 to Detroit, 3 to Atlanta, 10 to Washington. The, the fact that they finally got a, a, a donut uh, in the first quarter was huge. You know? As a fan, should a, should a fan feel better about where this team is at today? Or, or has their reality really not changed all that much? There are certain offensive limitations. They are inconsistent in getting to the quarterback. They struggle to cover on the back end unless there's 30-mile-an-hour wins and a, a subpar <laughs> passer back there. I mean, or do you look at this and say they may have found something yesterday that they can use to build on moving into the Chicago game, moving into the bye week? Maybe they get a little bit healthier. Who knows what they do over the next 24 hours before the trade deadline? Do they add there beyond what they did earlier today? Yeah, I mean, if you extrapolate, I, I would go glass uh, glass half full for sure. I mean, you got the Bears who kind of stink now. You know, we all thought they were going to be better, three and four coming in next week. And then you get the bye week, a chance to prepare for the Patriots where you might have you know, Avante Maddox back. You may have Craven LeBlanc back. You may have Tim Jernigan. Uh, Deshaun, what, what's going on with him? Maybe he's back by that point. We'll see what they do. Um, at the trade deadline, they went out and made a, a trade actually like an hour before we got in, a couple hours before we got in here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, you, see, you see at least like a blueprint for what works. Uh, the running backs are good. You know, they finally had an explosive play in the running game, a decent downfield pass. The other day. I mean, you, you, you see, you know, concepts where it's like okay okay I, I can understand why this team might be able to run whereas I think in the in the last couple of losses it was like none none of that was showing up you know I don't I don't know if they can con- continue with it necessarily but I see I see stuff that says okay it's there I know it's there are they going to be able to replicate it so Bob I'm going to say that I join you on the uh the fan side of things a little bit 
I'm a little bit more emotionally invested into the Eagles than I would I, I would consider myself on the flyer side. I have to be removed from it. The Sixers side, I probably get the most excited about. But for the Eagles to sit back and think, like, is this an aesthetically pleasing game of football to watch? The answer thus far through the season is no. They're a somewhat hateable team to watch. It's almost a hate watch, I think, for anybody who watches the team because it, it never really feels like they're a cohesive unit. Now, I thought that yesterday there were a couple of good signs, especially coming off of the or- Orlando Scandrick comments um, from all of last week. When, are you are you a, a Orlando Scandrick galvanize the team kind no, of No, I'm, I'm not all the way there. I think that the team probably decided that they were going to be a little bit um, more over the top and trying to show and Kevin, Some this this goes back to what you said uh, a week or two ago. How you're almost annoyed that this team can't seem to motivate itself beyond self motivate. Yeah. Yeah, which, mean, by the you, way, Scantrick himself the, said on on the show that he appeared on. Well, that's that's why it's kind of hard to to parse whether whether it was you know if there was an extra motivating factor this week, was it the Scandrick stuff or was it just the fact that they got killed in Dallas? You know, I mean, because those things both kind of you know. Are, are piled up on top of each other. I don't know which one is more responsible than the other. If it if it was, well, I think it was a perfect storm. Yeah, two two, two bad games in a row. Yeah, and then yeah. you have the Scandrick stuff and calling out Malcolm Jenkins and yeah. calling out the coach. And I think that you then that I think that was just like okay, everything is kind of collapsing in on us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's let's bunker down and rally rally ourselves yeah and i mean to their to their credit i don't in, in the quotes that i read yesterday and today i don't think i saw the, the word underdogs in there i could be wrong but you know i th- think if fletcher cox and brandon <laughs> graham were just sort of saying like we gotta like step up and and play better you know? i just think it's like you we look- started fast today i was big everybody was to the ball as fletcher cox You're looking at the last few games teams were coming down on the first drive and driving the ball down the field on us we were getting three points or a touchdown uh, Graham said we have a chip on our shoulder. Okay, I'll take a, a chip on the shoulder versus the underdog thing. You know, they, they're still they're the same thing. Uh, it is. It comes from the same like school of motivation, but at least they're like uh, thinking a little bit. Uh, but they respond to it. They, they have, do. They you know, do. they respond yeah. to that thing. And if but that's what it takes, problem. well, it, but it's it, such a problem. I mean, I don't think it's a what what can won them a Super Bowl, Russ. Uh, it did, but I mean, th- then you're then you're getting into like a different layers where it's like, okay, the, the the reason that we were trying to move on from the underdogs thing was because it was like you are not the underdog, and now it's the and it's, you know, like as Doug Peterson said, <laughs> yeah. it's the new right, norm. You were supposed to, but I mean, like the situation think, being what it is with the injuries that they have and whatnot, like I, I get it, but using something that's not tangible as as a way to say that like that should be something that can set the stage for them to do something similar again in the future to me just doesn't make sense. It's like, well, were, were they successful in playing the underdog card? Yes, they did. It worked. Did it work last year? Did it help Alshon Jeffrey catch the ball at the end of the game? No, it did not. Well, I'm going to throw this and to so, Bob. And so I'm going to throw this to that's Bob. That's the issue. Because he's the gambling guy. And, I, don't, and I, I hate to put him on the spot. He probably doesn't have this number readily available. I don't. But I'm going to throw it at him anyway. <laughs> you, you're a trends guy. You're, you, know, yeah. you look up a lot of numbers. Sure. How much does revenge come into play in sports when you're betting like when team when you look at those it's lines like it's like one of the pillars of sports betting okay uh, yeah it's okay. it's and, w- and why I is that for. and why is that a pillar of sports betting uh, because a team is motivated to prove a point coming off a bad loss yeah thank you that's actually why i, I see like this week <laughs> 
and I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong about the Cowboys game. I really thought that the Eagles were going to go out and play well in that game, in part because they were so bad the week prior against Minnesota. Right. So then I kind of doubled down on the idea yesterday. I said, there's just no way that you're going to get run out of the building two weeks in a row. Now you have your back up against the wall. You're the more desperate team. I mean, these are always the things that we tell ourselves when we try to lock in bets. And that's why I like the Eagles, because if you looked at it purely from a football standpoint, there was no reason to take Correct. the Eagles yesterday at Buffalo. Correct. I, I think I, to elaborate on the on the the reason I don't like the underdogs thing is because last year it, the the context of last year was supposed to be we are defending our title. You know, you know we're going to build. I, I hate to say dynasty after winning one Super Bowl. We we want to build a dynasty. We want to win another one. You know, it's this new norm idea that Russ was talking about. You know, so it, it, that you know, two years removed from it. If you didn't have a great year last year and you're three and four going into Buffalo this year. And maybe, maybe if that gets you motivated to say our backs are against it while we had a chip on our shoulder with the underdog, whatever cliche you want to come up with, fine. But I, I didn't like it at the time because, to me, that was you were still operating on a very rudimentary motivating level when they should have been above that at that point. You know, So it makes you wonder then, kind of the point that I'm getting to, is like, does this team really have it? Is, is the fabric there? Like, is this team really – you know, is this, did they have Tom Brady's and Rob Gronkowski's and Bill Belichick's and stuff like that? Because that's that's the alpha, that is the apex, the pinnacle of athletic performance and competition is to get to the top and then stay on the top. But obviously they weren't able to do it. It's a little bit different this year going back to underdogs versus last year, but it's still kind of – it makes you cringe a little bit because there's still a lot of talent on the team, you know? So I, I want to throw this idea out there. The Eagles sit in a, a position where they're a half game out of first place. They're going to see Dallas at home again at the end of the season. The Cowboys' schedule is a nightmare going down the stretch. Obviously, the Eagles have to deal with the Bears, and you don't really know what you're going to get out of them. Uh, the bye week, the Seahawks, the Patriots. So it's not like you know things just cool off in the next week or two here. Yeah, yeah. But it does set up where the Eagles could conceivably make a run at a division title. When you look at how the NFC is shaking out right now, it's hard to imagine a scenario where the Eagles, even if they win the East, are anything higher than a four seed. Because you have yeah, the Saints yeah. in the South. You have what the mm-hmm. 49ers are doing out West. And maybe even if the Rams catch them, that's still going to be a, a 12-win team if they do. So And, and the Packers. And the Packers. And, and, the and they're running only, away with Vikings the Vikings are only a win off the pace. Yeah. So, so that being said, should the Eagles go all in? And, and I know that this is kind of like a loose definition of all in. But should the Eagles sacrifice future assets? To go heavy on this season well, they and gave try to a, make a run. They gave up a fourth-round draft for a fifth-round pick last year with the Gennard Avery thing. So, okay, I mean, I guess that was more of a thing where they just liked that guy from what what they'd seen pre-draft last year or the, even the year before scouting him in college. So that's one thing. But, I mean, I, I just don't – you know, with, without Deshaun Jackson back, I just don't, I don't know what the – I don't know the capabilities of the offense beyond it. It's like, yeah, they can throw the ball to the tight ends, they can run the ball, but eventually somebody's just going to stack the box and they're going to force you to throw it anyway. So I don't know. But to the to the point of the Cowboys, I mean, they're on the bye week and then they get the Giants. It, uh, they go play New York on Monday night. Then they get the Vikings at home. Then they got to play at Detroit, at New England. They get the Bills at home. They got to play at the Bears. They get the Rams at home. Then they get the Eagles on the road and then they get the Redskins. So – I mean, it's it's pretty tough. You know, it's pretty damn tough. And if the Eagles get through, if the Eagles should beat the Bears and go to five and four, and then he hit the bye week, I, I kind of like them against the Patriots on a bye week. I mean, I like their chances a lot, but I don't think they'll beat them. But I think they can come out of that stretch five and uh, you know 
five and five, six and five through Seattle? I, I think it's on, I think those games are kind of however that plays out is kind of irrelevant. The Eagles aren't going to run the table. Neither is Dallas. So it's no, gonna, of course so the Eagles are one game behind the Cowboys. To me, this comes down to two very important games for the Eagles in the rest of the season: the Dallas game, of course. And Seattle, because Seattle's a team that's currently in a playoff spot yeah. that you could probably catch if you beat them. Yeah, so true, that kind of keeps that. Like last year, we didn't think that they had a prayer at a wild card, right? Because they're going to because the Niners are going to probably going to win the division, and then they ended so, up the, you know. the Eagles ended up sneaking in that you right. know that way. Right, right. Um, so I think that that Seattle game and the Dallas game, those are the two that are really going to make or break the season in the second half. The other games will probably play out as they should. Yeah, I think so. And and I think that those two games will dictate whether this Eagles team is a playoff team or not. I hate to break it to everybody, but they're going to lose that Seattle game because Russell Wilson is not only playing at an MVP level. He's the exact kind of quarterback that that guts this kind of team. Because if if Jim Schwartz sends the blitz, Russell Wilson's going to get out of the pocket. He's going to gut you for 10, 15 yards a rush. Right? I mean, I mean they've, there, always there, said, they've always had trouble with, with Russell Wilson no matter what. I mean, he's like always that, that's me. If, if the season hinges on the Seattle game, then they're screwed. There's but no they, way. There's... To the me, Eagles, there's, the there's Eagles, not much of a way around. The Eagles it. have the, the easier back end of the schedule, though. Sure. And I still think they can, you know, so, so worst should, case scenario, if they go five, if they get to five and six after the Seattle game, then you get the Dolphins, you get the Giants, you get the Redskins, the Cowboys, and the Giants. So it's yeah. it's not murderer's row after that. You know, if they can get some of these guys back healthy, don't, I don't see why not. Which go, is fine. To get to, to so, Bob's point really quickly, like the, the thing about, like, should they go all in? Yeah, like to me, anytime you think that you have a top 10 quarterback in the league, you think that you're going to get back your receiver who can pop the top off the defense into Sean Jackson at some point, and you still have a reliable set of hands, usually in Alshon Jeffrey. To me, any year that you have those those pieces in place, you've got to go for it. And because this division is so wide open, and knowing that Howie Roseman isn't exactly the world's best drafter, I'm not that concerned about hashtag Howie season and him going out and trading assets in order to get somebody that is an immediate impact player. The name that that to me is like the number one target, and it seems like a, a Madden kind of you know fantasy booking, but if DeAndre Hopkins is available, if he's a guy that Houston for some reason decides to make available. DeAndre Hopkins? I'm, he, he, his he, name has been floated around in trade rumors for, for the last week. Out of your mind. Who is if, floating his name around here? You, have, you know, you reports. Have to name, yeah. <laughs> Look at sources. Ryan's got Listen, it correct. It came, <laughs> sources and reports. I'm just saying, Can oh I see your text God. messages? Nope. Yeah. Insiders. Yeah. Nope. yeah, show us your sources. That, that's, that's not going to fly. The Texans are like... Five and three. Yeah, they're in a playoff he, race. The so Colts are Yahoo, five and two. Yahoo with, Sports with, reported geez. that that there are multiple teams that are inquiring about Hopkins, which is obviously different from him being shot. But if there are reports that there are a bunch of teams, there has to be a thought that maybe Houston doesn't want to pony up. I, I don't know. But listen, if Howie Roseman goes out and say that there's somebody who could be a legitimate number one target on this team, and it costs you two first round picks. I can't so believe I'm. Enter- I can't believe I'm entertaining. No, I'll, but here let me. I'll, I'll, I'll make it a little easier for you, <laughs> Kev, because that's not that's not realistic. But I'll give you a name that may be realistic. Well, How about AJ Green? Sure. I mean, he's uh, kind of a possessiony receiver. I don't know. I mean, I, I I kind of liked the idea of packaging like a Leonard Williams and Robbie Anderson thing with the Jets. Yeah, because it kind of is like a two birds with one stone kind of thing. A while. You know, both of those guys in a vacuum aren't going to like get you to the Super Bowl. Like it does kind of address two two needs at once. But what would what would the price <laughs> what would the price be for DeAndre Hopkins? Like if Jalen Ramsey is going for two, two ones two, and a four, two ones and a four, DeAndre Hopkins is worth two ones and a something as well. 
Is he not? Yes. Would anybody <laughs> give that? Could I interest uh, you in a Super Bowl winning left I, tackle? I don't know. Vati Vita. Is that the thing that sweetens the pot? <laughs> We're going to sweeten that pot. We're going to throw a big V in is there. It, yeah. Is it fair for fans to sit back we'll and, and, and want to see Howie Roseman go out and make a, a big trade? No, they no. because listen, the... the, the if if look at what the Sixers did, like you're either going for it or you're not. Like you don't what, what you don't want to be is the eighth seed in the East and just sort of bumbling through purgatory. Either you suck or you're really good. There's no point existing anywhere in between. So if you got a franchise quarterback, you like your offensive line, you think you're going to get guys back from the inju- from injury, then go for it. You know, and if the Eagles stink for a couple years later down the road, whatever, we could all use a break after the Super Bowl high anyway, and we'll regroup in a couple years, whatever. But I think you're, I think you are much more in a go for it buying kind of thing. This though. this team is one bad Carson Wentz knee injury away from being in the doldrums of of the basement of of the NFL. Well, so are half the teams. teams in the NFL. No, but I'm oh, saying yeah. he's right? he's already shown he's already demonstrated. No, but he's already demonstrated a propensity to <laughs> this is not so be able to stay so on the field. No, listen. There, to there is there's an injury history there with Carson Wentz. I'm saying if he's healthy and you have to you have to kind of plan this out on how do we go out and maximize the be- the early stages of Carson Wentz's career? Is giving him a number one target something that gets this team to the next level? DeAndre Dallas, Hawkins. Dallas was gutsy last year. We talked about it last week. They went out, they made the trade for Amari Cooper. Everybody thought they were crazy. Look what it's done for Dak Prescott. You go out and get a consistent number one target for the for Carson Wentz, and all of a sudden, maybe this team doesn't have to rely entirely on their defense to make every big I don't, play. I don't, I don't think anybody disagrees with that. I just can't get over the, the fact that a guy like that would be would even be mentioned in in it was a jay glazer that was a jay glazer report <laughs> if you if this was around the horn i would have hit the mute button so many times <laughs> you, you would have been at like negative 35 by now and then, and then your image would be great listen i've got to support my fellow screen. vertically challenged reporter okay uh, well, while we uh, while we f- uh, flagellate Russ during the break here, oh, uh, yeah, you can you can chime in if you want eight 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 seven two eight nine nine four one. When we come back, I think we're going to dive into some Sixer stuff, right? Okay, they got they got off to yeah. a two and zero start, Yo, and we got to talk a little bit about uh, Joe Girardi, the new manager of the Philadelphia Phillies, and we'll do that after the break here on Crossing Broadcast on six ten ESPN Philadelphia. And we are back here on Crossing Broadcast on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. Before we move on, we should talk about our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. They offer a $500 risk-free bet to new users. And while that risk-free bet is an amazing deal, it's just the beginning. Of course, if you've ever opened up their app, they've got an Android app, they have an iOS app that you should definitely check out. Nice, user-friendly, streamlined, all the things that you want in a legal sportsbook they have available over there at FanDuel.com sportsbook. And if you sign up using the code CB as in Crossing Broadcast, you can get in on the $500 risk-free bet. And I know that Bob has some thoughts on the World Series. World Series is coming to an end on Tuesday night. Uh, that that series is over. It slipped away. It slipped through Washington's hands at home over the weekend. It. You hate to see it. You got Steven Strasburg, who's been excellent this postseason, 1-3-4 career ERA in the playoffs, including a one nine three ERA this season. Uh, going up against Justin Verlander, who actually has never won in the World Series and has an ERA well over five throughout his career. But tomorrow night, Justin Verlander exercises his demons and he puts one final check mark on a Hall of Fame resume and he will close out the Nationals. I like Houston. Got to lay minus 178 to do it. Uh, that is what I would do. I don't want to play with run lines in this one, uh, but I do like Houston to win tomorrow night and close things out. And, of course, if you're in on doing any kind of a two-sport parlay, maybe you think that the uh, 
the Atlanta Hawks can beat the Sixers. He couldn't help himself. He had to get it in. It's true. Or you could go to Wawa and buy yourself a lottery ticket. Listen, if you like the Atlanta Hawks and you like the the Astros to win, get plus 362 odds. That's not bad. Trey Young averaged almost 40 points per game in the first two games for the Hawks. They're undefeated. Is this an, They're another Negadelphia the take? They are the kind of team <laughs> that usually gives the Sixers problems. Who's going to keep up with Trey Young? So, let me, so the Sixers are 2-0. and You come in with a Negadelphia Sixers attitude. The Eagles got a big win on the road, 31-13. to You come in with a Negadelphia Eagles attitude. Is there anything else that you want to be negative about? on The, the on Flyers the, went the three phone? out of four. He started the show screaming. And he's negative. You told okay. me to do the uh, the fake <laughs> screaming of the Flyers okay. Twitterverse. Right. You fraud. Right. Okay, don't, don't do some, that. Some people will know. Pull it's the a curtain bit. back some, a little bit. Some people All right. won't. Yeah. The Philadelphia Union lost their uh, playoff game last week. Here, uh, there's, there's another negative. But you know what's not negative, of course, is the user experience on the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Go check them out. FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. It's available in New Jersey and PA. The $500 risk-free bet is up there. And don't forget, they also offer some really nice things, some odd boosts, bet insurance, special bonuses, and more. Sign up with the promo code CB, as in Crossing Broadcast, CB. First online wager only refund issued as site credit. Site credit expires after 14 days. Go to sportsbook.fanduel.com for full terms. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So I'll give you a Sixers statistic uh, to kind of open up the discussion here. Sixers are plus 22 points in the second half through two games. And uh, that's a fantastic sign because it kind of goes back to a quote that Brett Brown dropped after the Celtics win, uh, a game that was kind of ugly offensively. They didn't have much in the half court. The uh, Detroit game was just horrendous basketball. Uh, You know, if you like... The, if you liked the 2005 Big East basketball tournament, then you'll love the Sixers this year because it's just smash mouth, a lot of fouls, free throws, tough defense, it, stuff interior in the paint. It's not going to be pretty. This is not <laughs> really going to be a pretty team to watch this year. They're going to get to the foul line a lot. Other teams are going to they're going to foul. Other teams are going to hit some three pointers. They're going to miss a lot of three pointers. But but Brett Brown said that he basically just felt like it was. The way that they approached um, the Celtics game is that he kind of described it as a as a war of attrition. You know, they just kind of debased the other team over time and kind of wore them down to the point where you know every single time you come down the court, you're looking at six foot six, six foot nine, seven foot, six foot ten, six foot eight. I mean, and the way that they've been subbing in the first couple of games, they've been using Josh Richardson as a backup ball handler. Uh, you know, there really are not a lot of places to attack the Sixers team I, I remember last year there was a game where the Celtics came down and Brad Stevens I think just went at JJ Redick with the same play on something like three straight possessions in a row and uh, he always just tried to simplify it when he played the Sixers find the one weakness go after it over and over and over until they adjust and if they can't adjust you just keep hammering them there but I don't really see what the weakness is right now defensively I mean I think the Sixers are going to win a lot of sloppy games just like they did the first two times and I think it's going to upset a lot of people like Russ why they would I like the style I like wins I think that there's going to be a lot of Sixers fans this doesn't bother me style no this style doesn't bother me I want wins I love it I think it's perfectly like Mike Singletary once said I want winners. Here's the I thing. feel like if you, look, Con- if you don't like pretty, if, well, I mean, for people who like pretty basketball, it's not. It was a funny thing. Like Smash Mouth, kind of grinded out like bullcrap is kind of a Philly. F- it thing, should be, isn't it? it should like, be a Philly don't thing. you like that oh, kind yeah, of basketball? Yeah. 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 yeah, because all these people are saying, "Oh, I don't like handoffs," and you know they shoot too many three pointers and blah blah. Okay, well, it's not really going to be the case. 
at all this year, you know, but, uh, you know, it's not, it's not exactly, you know, a pleasure for the eye, but it's effective and it, it matches the personnel of, you know, of they, what they have this year for sure. See, I, I, this whole thing doesn't bother me. I think I said this last week, but like when, when the Warriors kind of revolutionized the way the basketball was played in the modern era by jacking up a ton of threes, by doing a lot of DHOs, by doing a lot of motion in their offense. And then Houston decided that the best way to combat that was by going full-on iso ball with either Chris Paul or James Harden. And then when Chris Paul was out, it was always super iso Harden. It was there, in their opinion, using advanced analytics, thanks to Daryl Morey, like that, that was the way that they thought they could, you know, not just stop the wheel, but break the wheel to quote the great Darnaris Targaryen <laughs> over there, Anthony, that's for you. Um, I look at it, and, and I know that like the, the head of our site, good old Kyle Scott, has uh, jumped into Slack from time to time, and he says it's 90s basketball, and it's mm-hmm. horrible, mm-hmm. because he'll probably watch 15 games this season. But uh, look, I think it's fine, because there is no team, I said this last week, and I'll continue to say it because it's right, there is no team physically that can match up to the Sixers. Uh, there's, there's not. There's there's, not. They are yeah. an unprecedented team in terms of size, in terms of matchups that they can throw at, at opposing teams. The only kind of team, and the reason that I said before that I think Atlanta presents a tough matchup for them is because if you've got solid guard play, which right now Atlanta's getting out of Trey Young, like I said, almost 40 points a game to start the season, that's the one thing that causes mayhem for the Sixers. Yeah, well, how many points did Kemba Walker go for on the in opening night? It's a fair point. 12 points, you know? So, Absolutely I mean, we're, we're looking at Lance. Considering what, he gutted them for 60 in yeah, Charlotte? Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, I don't even think that that's a weakness anymore. That's what I'm saying. I'm waiting for the defensive weakness to show itself. I don't exactly know what it is right now. Of course, it's only two games in, but... Um, you know, I, I think to advance the story a little bit, it, it's good because you know there was a lot that was made of the fact that they the Sixers played three different teams this year. They had the, the opening night team, which with Robert Covington and Darius Sarge and Markel Fultz. Then they had the Jimmy Butler trade, and then they had the Tobias Harris and Boban trade. So it's like, how much time does Brett Brown get to install anything with this team? Not he, he doesn't. You know, he's going to have the entire season to improve the half court offense. So we're really going to learn a lot about Brett Brown, whether he knows what he's doing or not. You know, because he's a guy like we talked about last week who's more like Jay Wright, who likes concepts and and just a basic motion scheme, and it's less about calling plays and stuff like that. So I'm interested to see if he gets away from organic basketball and goes a little more towards inorganic basketball because you have a bigger team that doesn't move as well, doesn't flow as well, and isn't going to generate as much natural offense on their own. So there'll be times when they get these these rough offensive patches where he's going to have to try to like grease the wheels and get it unstuck. And we're going to see if Brett Brown does have offensive chops. You know, I think that's kind of going to be the storyline going going forward from a macro level. When it was really encouraging to see the way that they played without Joel Embiid, because we know that yeah. historically, when Embiid goes out, the drop off to the to the backup center has been absolutely god awful. Mm-hmm. You got to see the way that this team could play a little bit differently. But the the nice thing is, from a pure pick and pop perspective, the kind of ability that Al Horford gives you yep. as as a pick and pop guy for Ben Simmons, maybe even more in the traditional sense, the ability for him to step out and hit a, a three from the wing is something that can't be understated. He's also a brilliant passer. He's got great court vision. Zero turnovers on on Saturday night in a game where they turned it over 22 times. And and his ability to just kind of like pick the right play and pick the right pass in the fourth quarter was fantastic. I mean, that was just like veteran. That was like the corny, like cliche line with Al Horford. <laughs> but like, yes, he just does make smart plays you know like veteran plays and uh 
Ben Simmons was great in the fourth quarter of the night. Tobias Harris was great in the in the fourth quarter of the other night. Um, I, I think the only thing I don't like right now is a couple of the rotational things they're doing. Josh Richardson as a backup ball handler is fine. If you get into the playoffs and you need to replicate something like you did with Jimmy Butler last year where you're not losing anything defensively by keeping him on the floor, fine. And that's why Brett – I asked Brett about it on Wednesday. You know, why didn't you go to Howell Neto or Trey Burke or anything like that? He said, we just like defensively, you know, so that they can keep everybody above six foot six for the entire game, which is fine. But, you know, you get the entire season before you get to, get to that. So throw Neto in there. They did on Saturday night. Throw Burke in there. See what you got. Josh Richardson's not as much of a, a facilitator who's going to help guys get clean looks when he's when he's running points. So kind of interested to see how that works out a little bit. Furkan Korkmaz, I mean, they said they wanted to grow him as like a three-point shooter. I don't think he's got much upside at all. I'd rather see Shake Milton get some more minutes. Um, rather see, I wouldn't mind seeing Zaire Smith come up, come back up from Delaware after a couple games. See what he has. Um, you know, give some of those guys a shot because I just, I just think, I, I, I appreciate the fact that Brett has identified that. Say, hey, we can be huge for the entire game now if we want with Josh Richardson back backing up uh, Ben Simmons. But you got 80 games left, so you, you went out and got two backup point guards to so see what you got. You know. Well, and I think that's one of the 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 more encouraging things that I think we saw is. You know, Tobias Harris especially, as as a guy who can come in and put up the points when you need it the most. And like I think yeah. like more more than anything, I think being able to see him go out, knock down some shots from deep, but really be the be a primary scorer is, yeah, he has to be, is yeah. massive. Yeah, ten for um ten for fifteen the other night, four for six from three, um, five or six from the um from the foul line, you know, twenty nine points for him. And then seven rebounds on top of that. So I don't know, um, you know, we, we talked about it a lot, was, was who's going to be kind of the go, go-to guy. And they started doing some stuff with him where they were uh, sh- shuffling around, playing some horns and, and whatnot, trying to get him open on the perimeter. And he, he's, he's like we said, he's probably going to have to be the guy, you know, because I don't, I don't know how reliable Ben Simmons is always going to be when, you know, if people are going to, like, try to force him to drive or, uh, you know, Thibel, you're not going to get a ton of offense from Horford. You're going to get it in spots, but it's not like he's a guy you're going to draw up a play for necessarily. So, um, yeah, I mean, the offense is going to be a work in progress. <laughs> I, I, think we, I think we all knew that, but I'm just more fascinated coming at it from an angle of Brett Brown. <laughs> you know, again, you're trying to play smash mouth bully ball style, but philosophically he's, he's closer to the Jay Wright and Steve Kerr uh, world than like the 90s. New York Knicks. So the Thibel thing, I think, is is one of the more interesting storylines right now because I think going into the season, a lot of people expected him to play more minutes than Zaire Smith. But not only has he outplayed Zaire, I mean, Zaire got himself sent down to Delaware for not not being yeah. able to really make any kind of an impact to break into this rotation. And now Thibel ends up being he looks like he he right now is your top wing option off the bench, and the disruptive kind of nature that that he has within this defensive scheme. I mean, he's averaging two steals on the season, but you take in deflections into account. You take into account his length and his you know quick twitch muscle ability to disrupt passing lanes. Those kind of things don't show up on the stat sheet, but you watch the game and you just realize that this guy, for being a rookie, shows no fear and is a guy that this team knows that they can rely on defensively against pretty much anybody what one through four yeah i mean and he's just gonna he's gonna eventually have to start to knock down some three points because they're gonna need him to be a three and d kind of guy um because there's just not enough offense out there otherwise to have another just defensive specialist who can't shoot but you know again it's they they have a group here i mean if they make any kind of move 
midway through, you know, they'll get a score or something like that. But you're not going to see the blockbuster moves that you saw last year. So I think we're going to see a lot. We're going to learn a lot about Brett Brown this year, a guy who really has never – I mean, I mean the 2017 team, I guess, did kind of have the, have a – you know, before before they got – they got Bellinelli and Ilyasova, but that team was – the core of that team was pretty consistent throughout the year. So I really want to see how Brett Brown does kind of installing the offense and kind of like – Helping them mature in the half court because that's going to be their Achilles heel. I think you look at their next three games. They're home or they're away at Atlanta tonight. They are home against the Minnesota Timberwolves on Wednesday, and then they go out for a Saturday night date with uh, Portland Trail Blazers. Yeah, they go the four which game, is, four which game is really the trip, yeah. I think the the yeah. toughest of those three games. Obviously, is Portland. Dame Lillard still playing at a, at a yeah. Really they high got level. killed. They got killed by Portland twice last year. Uh, I get. The, I think they have Phoenix also on that trip. And who's is, been is like that, surprisingly competent this year? Although DeAndre Ayton, Ayton, the, the suspension looming over his Yeah, I just, I just don't. Again, with this, with this Hawks team tonight, um, I think Joel Embiid is listed as questionable. I don't see an update yet. Um, but I mean, they just don't have the size for him. So even if Trey Young goes for thirty points or something like that, I don't know where else they're going to score. So uh, we'll see. Of course, I could be completely wrong, and then I'll come back. Uh, next week and just deny that I ever said it. <laughs> so we got to take, yeah. take another break. And uh, when we get back, we're going to do a little bit of uh, Joe Girardi. Bob was down at the press conference today. And uh, we'll dive into that. And also, I know Kevin wants to rank. Yeah, I'm going to give you my uh, Mount Rushmore. Of Taco Bell of items. Of Taco Bell menu items. So you're not going to want to miss that. Yeah, i got to get that in as well. <laughs> you're listening to Crossing Broadcast Radio here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. And we are back here on Crossing Broadcast Radio on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. Well, we got the two most relevant teams right now out of the way, and that gets us to the, the Phillies, the there's a baseball team in town that people care about? What? I didn't know that. They they apparently announced they uh, replaced their manager. Yeah, they Gabe got a Kapler, new manager. They got a guy yeah. who I think people would recognize if they watched the uh, 09 World Series when that fraud Alex Rodriguez hit a camera in right field that clearly was not a home run. It's fine. Bob, you were down there today to see Joe Girardi, the man of the people, introduced to the Philly faithful. Yeah, what, what, a, takeaways? what a difference 17 days makes. They had that train wreck of a press conference a couple weeks ago when they fired Gabe Kapler. He had John Middleton take over, and I don't think uh, anybody left that that news conference with much confidence in where the Phillies were headed, but they have now gone out. They've hired Joe Girardi. Uh, Joe, I thought, was pretty sharp today. I think he said all of the things that you would want to hear a new manager say. Uh, I could see why the city is excited about him. He has the pedigree, obviously. That was something that was referenced multiple times uh, during the session today. Uh, he seemed to kind of play into that Philly guy type of, um, you know, I, I don't know, that that characterization. He talked about his mom coming from a huge family of farmers and how he realized, you know, growing up that the game means so much to everybody that, you know, works so hard and they come home at 7 o'clock and turn on the game. And so I think that'll resonate with the fans in this city. Um, I thought overall it was it was good. And I think it was very notable that Matt Klintak was the only other person up on the stage. I think that was strategic. I think the Phillies are trying to market this in a way where there's not a power struggle or, or anything like that. And I think that that was a pretty strategic move on their part. But we see right through it, though, Bob, right? Yeah, I, I don't mean, think that Matt Klintak right has it. much. Uh, I don't think Matt has as much power as he did this time a year ago, and it's, it's pretty obvious. It's crazy. I mean, I get it. I understand why they're doing it, but 
come on. I mean, the reality is is that Matt Klintak is this was not his call. This was the owner's call and the owner's decision. And guess what? The other f- openings that are still left on this uh, coaching staff, they're not going to be Matt Klintak's call either. Yeah, I think that he's handed pretty much the majority of his staff at this point, and so he's going to get to pick, I think, the pitching coach and the hitting coach. And Girardi. As he should, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely think that. Um, so, I mean, there were some things that jumped out at me, and I wrote a story. It's on the site right now on CrossingBroad.com. You know, I thought that he was pretty entertaining. He told a couple good anecdotes about his wife uh, stepping on another fan's hand at Wrigley Field on a date in the 80s to get a home run ball and you know, just like they were very endearing little anecdotes and, and people like that. And so I thought he was pretty good overall. If there was one thing that I thought was a little bit problematic, it was this. They, they asked him about how he plans to implement analytics. And I think that's the money question. Because so much of what happened with the Phillies last year was a failure on, on the field level to get the front office's message and the data to the players in a useful and manageable way. And so he was asked, how are you going to do it? How are you going to take the message of the front office and make it so that your players are able to digest it and use it? And his response was pretty much, and I actually have it in front of me, says, so players need as much information as they can handle. That helps them perform their job to their best, and we'll continue to talk ways to, uh, about ways to disseminate it. As far as who sits in on meetings, I'm open to that. I haven't done it yet, so it's hard for me to tell exactly how it's going to happen, but I just want it to work to the greatest ability. Well, you know, I think that that's something that I hope that you have planned out at this point. Now, is that he just doesn't want to get into specifics? He doesn't want to give away that information about how it's going to work? Or have they really not ironed out the details of how they plan to prioritize certain certain data sets and, and really how they plan to give it to the players? I, I think he's basically saying, look, I'm the kind of guy who likes information. Just give me everything. And then I'll, once I get to know these players, I'll figure out the best way to get it to them. Whether that's one-on-one, whether that's in a, in a group meeting where, you know, maybe it's like, okay, we're having the pitchers and catchers meeting or we're having the infielders meeting or the outfielders meeting for positioning, how we're going to position guys or the batting or the uh, hitting coach, you know, work, working with the hitters on, on, on the, how the opposing pitcher might throw. Like he's got to, he wants to figure it out. I think that's what, I think that's what he was trying to say more than anything else because one of the things that, you know, that has come out and you know about it and it's not a secret is that there are some players who didn't react very well to the kind of information they were being given and the abundance of information they were being given. So I think Joe is basically saying, I have to learn these guys and determine what the best way is to disseminate. He used the word disseminate how many times, right? To disseminate that information to them. It really is a key question, though. And I will tell you that I learned over the weekend that the previous manager wasn't thrilled with some of the information that he was receiving from yes. the analytics department. And so this idea that, you know, everything it was everyone was rowing in the same direction that he was just a pure extension of that R&D department. I don't know that that's entirely true. I think that that might be a little bit of a mischaracterization. So I'm just kind of curious to see which data sets they'll prioritize and really how they're going to be streamlined. Well, I thought the most important thing that he said was that and I, I was I was as a as the old school guy in the room. I was refreshed to hear when Joe Girardi said baseball is a reactionary sport, not an action sport. And what he what he means by that is 
You can have all this information, and it's great. It's useful, and he loves it. He went by the name Binder Joe, right? I mean, we know he's an, he's an analytics guy. But that in the moment, you make a decision based on the moment, not based on the binder, so to speak. And, and that's what he means by baseball being reactionary. And I also thought, and I thought this was a little bit more subdued of a response, Bob. I really liked what he had to say about the bullpen. Because it almost made it seem like they that the bullpen wasn't handled well. You can't have that many injuries in the bullpen. Well, one of the things he had said was I, I did a few games throughout the course of the summer. I think he said he was here once in May, yeah. once in June, once in August. And he said it was an entirely different cast of characters, his, yeah. his words, uh, every time he came. And he's like, it makes it very difficult to win like that. Yeah. And I don't think anybody would disagree with no. that. No, but no, I, th- I, think that, I think that he was... I mean, look, that was the first thing that when they said, what does this team need? That was the first thing he talked about. Yeah. You and I feel like starting pitcher is like their primary target, right? It is. It It should be. (laughs) But the first thing that he the first thing he mentioned was the bullpen, which I found to be very interesting. I'm wondering if the hire of Joe Girardi breathes life into the career of Nick Pavetta. Because I I had pretty much written him off in a Phillies uniform a couple weeks ago. And I, I just I'm kind of curious. He says that there's a lot of talent with this rotation. I don't know if that's just a lip service thing or if he genuinely believes that and is willing to kind of work with a couple more of these guys than, than I'd be willing to going into this season. Uh, that, I guess that remains to be seen. I'll also tell you that this is a good start. Joe Girardi, I think, is a good hire. And I don't think many people would disagree with that right now. But it's not going to fix the Phillies. Nope. They have to they have to fix this starting rotation. They have to straighten out their bullpen. And if they don't do it, it doesn't matter. And that's why people have kind of said to me, like, oh, they fired your boy Gabe. You know, like, you don't seem very excited about it. And I said, no, it's not that I, I'm not into the Girardi hire. It's not that I don't think it's a good move. It's just that I know, like, I truly believe this really didn't have that much to do with the manager. So now I'm not going to react to it and say, wow, huge score. Everything's fixed. Here come the Phillies. I mean, they have a ton of work to do this offseason. My guess is that he wouldn't be here if the Phillies weren't giving him some assurances that they are going to be aggressive again. Because I don't think Joe Girardi takes this roster as is and runs it back with the majority in place in 2020. I don't think he shows up here if that's the case. But do you think Joe Girardi could extend his uh, longevity here if they do need if, – if the – if the path to competition is longer than we think it's going to be by just saying the right things and – you know, doing doing things in front of the press and the public, you know, that Gabe Kapler did not then, did not do. I mean, is there anything to that? Maybe, but I think the Phillies are doing themselves a disservice then because they made it very clear. I mean, they made it very clear today that the expectation is to make the playoffs. Clintac said it. I mean, yeah. he said it. Win now. So right? you that can't quote, sit up Bob? there, yeah, I mean, and you can't sit up there and say, like, we're going to do everything we can to win now. Now is the time to win, That's I believe, is exactly Which, by the way, said. like, yeah. that is not what we heard when they signed Bryce Harper, It right? It, it felt like there was a real pumping of the brakes. Like, I think that there was like, like a, hey, we're the, going for it, but, yeah. yeah, like, we're coming, we're on the way there, but maybe we haven't completely arrived. Like, contrary to popular belief, the Phillies didn't say, like, we're going to win a championship this year. It was a move that kind of sort of said, we're back. But we may not still be all the way there. No, now I think the, the Phillies are telling you, like, we're coming for it. All, so, they, all they said was that we had an objectively excellent offseason. I mean, I think this. that if the Phillies miss the postseason next the, next year in 2020, <laughs> there, there could be significant changes beyond the, the manager. The manager may stay, yeah. but I think there's going to be a major shuffle going on in that front office if they miss out. Well, they have an elite GM. 
Remember, John Middleton said that he was one of the elite minds, right, in all of baseball. So I've been pretty hard on Matt Klintak, but to be fair, th- there's time left here. You know, it's he wouldn't be the first guy that struggled early on, learned from some mistakes. I think there was a guy in the city that did this, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and then, you know, figured it out. I, I don't know. Like, he hasn't given me much of a reason to say, like, he's the right guy or he's going to have a big offseason and do the things that he needs to do to put this team over the top or at least get him back into the conversation in the postseason. Well, I, I think two things can be true, you know, as we said last week, that, yeah, getting McCutcheon and Harper and Real Muto and, and the guys they did was a really good offseason. It's just the other half of that is well they just needed a lot more. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't think it was I mean so when you look at it from a from a whole team building perspective, yes, I guess you could say Matt Klentak failed cuz he didn't address, you know, cuz he thought that this pitching group was going to be good enough coming back, but uh the stuff that they did do was good. Uh, you know, it was so I get why. I mean, I remember what what the the takes were like back then after all those moves were made. You know, people were saying, "Oh, this is great." You know, but obviously you needed the other the other when the shoe dropped, the other side of the shoe dropped, the other shoe dropped excuse me uh Into you know the obviously yeah. <laughs> me, me, meanwhile the red sox yeah. meanwhile the red sox introduced cheyenne bloom today yeah yeah well could, could have been the phillies gm how anyway much, how much time we, got we had about two and a half minutes here okay. uh so well, this is the kevin moment. kincaid yeah. the moment you've all been drum roll for. please i'm gonna give you my mount rushmore mount rushmore of taco bell of items taco bell items uh i'm gonna start you off with a, a seasonal one this comes in and out of the rotation it's the rolled chicken tacos you can get them with dipping dipping sauce, with cheese, with avocado, with uh, I'm sorry, with guacamole, you know, which is made of avocado, and then you can get sour cream on those. I like the uh, Doritos Locos Taco, the nacho cheese flavor. Ooh. I'm not messing around with the Cool Ranch. Cool right Ranch? Either. No, I don't yeah, like the Cool Ranch. Nah, or the spicy? No, nah, get the hell out of here. I like the I like the Cool Ranch shell. Go ahead. Uh, all right, that's num- all right. Number three, I'm actually going to hit you with an item that they don't make anymore. So I don't know if this is a violation or not, but uh, I haven't seen it on the menu in years. But it's the triple steak burrito. Uh, was a favorite of mine. Yeah, they still was, do chalupas. Uh, they do do that. That did not uh, make it onto the. Oh, the big Rushmore, chalupa though. guy. So am I. I love the chalupa. Sorry to yeah. Sorry to let you Nacho down. Nacho cheese. But I'm gonna go with the uh, cheesy gordita crunch. Oh, that's good too. Though uh, yes. to wrap it okay. up. So rolled chicken tacos, Doritos Locos taco, only the nacho cheese flavor. Hey Bob. Triple steak burrito and the cheesy gordita crunch. Hey Bob, what do you call cheese that isn't yours? Nacho, nacho cheese. Nacho cheese. Let's go. Have you tried though the new uh, you have kids, don't you? cheese on the outside sure chalupa? Uh, ask me next week and I will say yes. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go get one right. It's pretty good <laughs> actually. Go really the hungry, cheese man, on yeah. the outside and the chalupa is pretty good. Yeah, I didn't eat much for lunch. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, another it's been uh, another another fun week, episode. Another episode of Crossing Broadcast. We'll, we'll have it. to we'll have to see how things pan out in a week. I mean, I I think I was pure Positadelphia today. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I think you were horrible. Nah, I think the, the Russ. The next... I wanted to I wanted to break a plate over your head a few times. That's tonight. okay. That's just fine. so you know, I've got a I've got a hard head. Yeah. yeah, we should get Ryan to scrub all DeAndre Hopkins references. Yeah, out it's of, totally fine. Out of the Completely podcast. edit it out. Pretend, I heard they're uh, going to go after happened. Terrell Owens. Yeah, <laughs> R- reports XFL. We want to thank Ryan Lennox for producing this fantastic bit of entertaining radio. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossing Broadcast here on 610 ESPN Philadelphia.